You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. One of the interesting things about the elections is to think about the different strategies that the political parties are using while they are trying to vie for your votes. And someone who's been observing many South African elections, which is not my euphemism for saying he's old, is Abraham Fakir, who is a political analyst and also a research and director at ESRI. And he has been thinking about elections for a very long time, and I can, can't think of a better interlocutor for this very first podcast of Eusebius on Times Live. Brian, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, it's a great pleasure. Thanks for having me, Eusebius. Uh, lovely to chat to you uh, formally again. Yeah, and you know, there's so many different political parties we can drill down into. But in this first episode, looking at elections, we're going to be talking about the Democratic Alliance specifically. You've got the African National Congress. If I was inside the DA and we were four, six months before where we are at now, finalizing what our strategic posture will be, even if we can't get everything on our wish list, I would say, let's aim, guys at convincing the voters that this election, when they go into the booth, is fundamentally a referendum on the ANC's record in government. What what would you say to that if we were both strategists inside the DA? Well, I mean, one would have thought that that's the strategy they're going to use in 2019 and one that they would repeat again today. Um, it's, it's, it's self-evident and it's obvious, but... Uh, Evidently, it isn't self-evident and obvious to the DA. Uh, and I think there's a reason why. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have your own thoughts, but I think you develop strategy from identity. So you need to know who you are in order to be able to project what you want to do. Now, I think these guys simply don't know who they are. And I don't think they know what they want to do because they go from issue to issue, issue and lurch from, from, from crisis to crisis in, in a fairly haphazard and uncoordinated way. I mean, you think today you believe one set of things and the next day you seemingly believe something completely different. And, I, you know, they pinned this, they used to pin this on Musi Maimani, which I thought at the time was legit because he did in many ways behave in this way, right? He flip-flopped on issues. He, he, he prevaricated on a number of issues. He also wasn't certain about how to install internal discipline inside the ANC, I mean, inside the DA. And, you know, ANC is a bit of a slip of the tongue, but probably works because he did the same inconsistent application of rules from one issue to another. One thought it might have ended with Musi Maimani. Uh, it didn't. Uh, it seems to be going on and it's it, the crisis is even deeper. 
I, I agree with you, right? And I, I'm trying extremely hard to be generous towards them and see whether I can ascribe intentionality to them, even if the intentions are bad and we can evaluate them. Because there are two different questions we've got to distinguish. One question from a political strat point of view is, what is the strategy? And then obviously we can ask a normative question, what should the strategy be or what should it have been? Let's tackle them in turn. I... Hmm wasn't able to even ascribe to them a coherent strategy, in part because they are so ad hoc, as you are saying. And I listened to a really lovely podcast episode that is worth listening. If you haven't listened to it as a listener of this new podcast, my now colleague again, where I started my career with him as well, is Peter Bruce. And he's got a wonderful podcast also in this ecosystem of Times Live. And he chatted to former DA leader, Tony Leon, who, whatever you think about Tony, is a very deep thinker. And Tony made the point, but he made it as a criticism, that the strategy of the DA, and he seems to be making it on a data point of one, but I still found it interesting, is to appeal to pragmatism. Hence, the main slogan is, the DA get things done. And he thought that that was them precisely opting out of what, are you, what you are saying, Brian, and he says it explicitly, going for a narrative of values and identity and rather talking about pragmatism and hoping that pragmatism is the way you can appeal to the party. Before we evaluate that position, just as, an, as a description of what they are doing or trying to do, do you agree with that? Or do you think that we, between Tony and now myself, are giving the party way too much credit by even trying to reverse engineer a strategy? You know, I think there might, that might be the thinking behind it. I know it's, it's potentially true that they're trying to be pragmatic. The problem is that their pragmatism is anchored in a social reality, the social reality of the larger part of the country. Now, if you want to be pragmatic and if you think about pragmatism as a cornerstone of conservative thought, so, 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 so we're now thinking that, that there's perhaps a degree of conservatism which underpins what the DA is doing. And they may, they may dispute that, right? But if you take these values of fairness, they want to be fair. They want everything to be fair uh, of the idea of freeness, the idea of opportunity. Now this idea of pragmatism, you know, because that's the that's the kind of four cornerstones or among the cornerstones of conservatism. Some would say it's also a cornerstone of liberalism, but they're being pragmatic about what? Now, even if you were being pragmatic, my argument is that if you were pragmatic, you would realize that you don't, even in pragmatism, put up the kind of poster you put up in Phoenix because pragmatically it doesn't make sense. If you gave it a few seconds of thought, you would think we're going to piss someone off here uh, and we're going to do so badly, right? And you're at, you're, you're at a point where you're saying also, uh, and leaving aside the Phoenix posters for a moment now, that getting things done is your approach. Well, then, if getting things done is your approach, then show us and tell the electorate what it is you are getting done. Show us what you did in Cape Town or in all of the municipalities where you govern. That would be the pragmatic approach. So I'm afraid Tony Leon might be correct about the thought process of pragmatism. Its application is falling down and falling down fairly badly. I agree with you. I think the other thing that makes it hard for them 
to appeal to a to a we just get things done we fill the potholes we make sure that water comes out of the taps we make sure you've got a secure supply of electricity that there's refuse removal that your bill is accurate that you get and that you won't have trouble to troubleshoot if you do get a wrong bill for what it is that you owe the municipality i mean if that's the campaign that you're running the real problem for these guys is that it's a little bit like you know when someone starts speaking with formal notes and then they go off the cuff and then you go as the comms person in the in the crowd going oh my gosh and brian is speaking off the cuff i'm really worried he's going to reveal who he truly is when he strays off the official messaging because the phoenix posters and i do want us to go there immediately brian is an excellent example of what happens when you speak extemporaneously rather than with prepared notes you reveal yourself yes and i think this is unfortunately what happened because you now left or at least someone who's thinking about this is now left with thinking do these guys actually believe this does the kind of casual bigotry and patronage patronizing um, you know patronage in the in the patronizing sense are they always that patronizing about people who are unlike them uh, and unfortunately you led to believe that you have to question whether they see other south africans in the same way as as they see themselves or whether the entrenched ideas of separateness that was bequeathed by apartheid still remains residual in their minds in the way in which they go about thinking about this now this is and this is again contrary to what tony leon is saying a pragmatic person is not going to think about all those things because what would come out of their minds even or their mouths even if they were talking extemporaneously uh, is that this is not the kind of thing i would say this is not the kind of poster i would um i would put up because even if you were pragmatic and you were thinking about the question of fairness you were thinking about the question of getting things done Yes. you're not going to deliberately going to divide a community in that way now if you thought that you're going to appeal to a small slice of voters within that little uh, enclave in 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 the city of durban mm-hmm. in phoenix then even then it doesn't make sense because you're alienating a bunch of people who form part of that community anyway we're not going to see this in the same terms so i don't think anyone gave thought to this and i think they did betray their own their own ideas of how they view people who are and again i have to use this unfortunate term who are unlike them i think um, spot on and in the unlikely event that you listen to this podcast but you have not been aware of this latest gaffe which is putting it mildly by the da in july when all the unrest and riots happened in kwazulu natal and gauteng uh, a minimum of 30 some 37 official officially is the number of people who died in the phoenix area and the da goes there puts up a poster the top one says the anc called you racist and below it another one that is quite divisive that says the a the da calls you heroes and i i want to say a couple of things about the poster and, and you can agree disagree or add on or subtract for me firstly this is clear race baiting it is to the extent that phoenix is not 100% homogenous it is also preying on 
historical cleavages and tensions in that particular area. And this is a party that often imagines itself to be the decent alternative to an ANC that it habitually paints as indecent. And yet what we see here is moral bankruptcy that it would normally think the ANC has got a monopoly on a bribe. And for me, this is also lastly interesting because this is a party that thinks identity politics is not for them. That identity politics is something you can opt out of, which I think you can't. And yet, what these posters also reveal is the DA being very prepared to play with identity politics for short-term gain while berating other people for doing exactly that. But that's exactly it. So, so posters and content of the poster aside, this is gets to the nub of who they are and what they are. So if you believe that identity politics is not for you, fair enough, that's fine. I accept that. And and there's a degree to which I even go along with that, that we should try to extricate South African politics away from the crude identity kind of constructs and how you appeal to them. But then you can't, on the one hand, say that this is the kind of politics you reject, and then you embrace precisely that kind of politics uh, by in this in this mode of campaigning because that is now telling me quite clearly that you don't actually know who you are and what made it worse is the double jeopardy you now put up these posters you go and defend them so even if we now say make a concession that fine okay you you believe this right and and that's okay I don't, gen- I don't believe it, but fine. You, you think these people are heroes. Then why take it down? Then you must stand your ground and say, I insist, these people are heroes. This doesn't go against the grain of any of the IEC's code of conduct provisions, or it's not against the law. And so this is part of rhetorical campaign speech, and I'm going to leave it up. So... There's a double jeopardy here. First, you say you don't embrace a specific kind type of politics, and then you do exactly that. And then you 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 stand by the poster and its content, but then you say, I'm going to take them down. And we're not sure now why you're taking them down, because you found that the messaging was um, offensive, or whether you think it's not buying into your short-term agenda of colonizing and what was quite interesting on that score is dean mcpherson took a unilateral decision as the da chairperson of kzn he had not even consulted with many of the senior leaders in the province let alone nationally and one interesting question but that's for another day is why this man felt safe and licensed to do so if this was mbali Tuli, if this was solim simanga makashule ghana at all, they would have been disciplined by now. They would have heard from Glynis Breitenbach already. But Dean McPherson and his family has got a particular role that it plays and has played in KZN. And so there is the licensing of the white male again within the DA of a certain ilk, taking certain decisions, knowing that you are safe from political consequence inside the DA itself. But to your point, let me read from the official statement, the Democratic Alliance is in the process of removing posters in KZN, which have inadvertently caused offense. And it goes on to say, the posters have regrettably caused hurt to some people. 
they don't apologize for doing anything callous and they don't take themselves to have done anything callous. The subtext is you, Eusebius or Brian or whoever else might have been offended. You are thin skinned. You are derailing a conversation I'd rather we have about Jordan Hill Lewis or about Dr. Mpoor. And so we're going to take them down so that we can get back to talking about other things. That's, but that's but that's evidently not working uh, because we are talking about it and so is everyone else. Yes. And we're not talking about it because it's a pet subject. We're talking about it because it has currency in the public debate. Um, I mean, there's some work I've done with the Center for Behavior, for Analytics and Behavioral Change. And this in, in the data that they're picking up, this is a dominating conversation. So it's not something that, you know, people, thin-skinned people are bringing it up. So it's not even achieving the agenda of shifting the conversation to other things, mm-hmm. to the pragmatism of the DA getting things done mm-hmm. or talking about the merits of its mayoral candidates and so on. Now, where you and I might differ is that, Look, I don't think the identity politics is as entrenched in the DA, um, despite their embrace of it. So, so, so they would have, so if, if a black person sung from the same hymn sheet, I think they would likely get off. So, for example, Gwen and Gwenya, if she chimes or echoes what another person says, um, you know, she could potentially get away with it. But it is true that it is equally true that if another white person in the DA went off script uh, and went off the script that is sanctioned by a coterie of people in the party, they will likely also be disciplined, right? So, so that much I'm, I'm prepared to grant them. What I am, what I am more disturbed about is the inconsistency and the fairly extravagant inconsistency that they allow themselves, despite proclaiming otherwise that they are rooted, that they do have a set of values that they're guided by, that they're trying to be less patronizing, that they're not inconsistent, when actually what they're showing is that they are all of those things, even by their own word. And that, for me, is the more disturbing thing. Second last issue I want to explore, Ebrahim, you are a technical expert on local government elections in particular. Well, I wish I were. Eh? I dabble. I, I said I wish I were, but no, I dabble. More than that, you were as humble the other day with William Vok on TV. You can take that aside. We'll give you the praise. <laughs> you've, you've spent many years on this. Um, and one of the things we've always discussed, and you've given many workshops on this, including to media houses, is what the difference is between the two ballot papers that you get when you vote for local elections but also in turn, at a more macro level, the differences between local and national elections. And those things are really interesting to you and me as political analysts. But empirically, not in terms of the legal meaning of the two different categories of elections, empirically, how do voters, to the extent that we know at all, how do voters think about local elections? Well, they must think of local elections in two ways. One is that, you know, the ward portion, the ward candidate, the ward ballot is the person who's going to take care of your pothole or the person who's going to get you onto the indigence register to get free basic services or the person who's going to try and get your kid into a no-fee school and so on. That's the purpose of a ward councillor. It's the person who's supposed to be immediately responsive or, or at least in theory responsive to you. 
uh, and try and help you alleviate some of the most basic problems that you face every day, right? From the grand things in the suburbs around potholes and clean verges and so on, to, to the go-go wanting to have her grandchild enrolled in a no-fee no school or help to be put on the indigence register. The second portion, the PR portion, the proportional representation portion, is the person or the, or, the, or the representative who's going to carry the party's vision. So if you want to be completely instrumental, you and you could, if you want, split your vote. Vote for someone who you think is going to get the job done in the, at the ward level and vote for someone who's, whose political identity is closer to yours on the second PR ballot. Now, of course, this is not technical stuff. The technical stuff matters because even if you vote for the ward candidate of your choice, whether they're an independent or aligned to a party, a small fraction of your vote is going to count towards the overall PR tally. So you might not like it, but it's something worth lumping and, and, and accepting as a citizen, even though, because you know, in, the, the way the system works is that all of the votes are counted at the end of the day, right? The ward votes and the PR votes all together. Then it is divided by the number of seats which are available in a municipality. Then you get from that, you get a quotient and that quotient is the number of votes required to achieve one seat. Then all of the ward seats that are won are distributed to the relevant people who have it. From the total overall tally, those are subtracted, and then the proportions are given to each party. So you see part of your ward vote will go towards a PR component, but it's a very small fraction. And I think if people want to be really strategic, they should think of splitting their vote. I think that's right. And it's interesting because... We need to chop up the elections discussion and maybe we'll plan one or two more so that we make it easier for all of us as voters and citizens to process. Today, we're focusing on strategy and the DA because what I was going to say, but you can comment on it, but let's bracket it out as a future conversation, that so much of the coverage of the elections, including, for example, even us as political analysts, how we engage the posters in Phoenix fall back on the dominant issues that would normally be salient in deciding who our MPs should be and who should be the government of the day in a national election. And I was shocked yesterday when we were driving around Rosebank and I finally saw a DA poster that was not the face of John Steenhazen. And I can say the same of other parties for that matter. It's There's no one who's come to knock at my door, who's sent me an email, who's had a Facebook presence to try and convince me that they are the right person to deal with this irritating problem here on Linden Street, for example. So what you are describing is a very good provocation for how we should think at Brian. But you've worked at the Electoral Institute. You've done some research yourself into branches even, which is not quite the same as how people vote, but you've had a very bottom-up set of experiences in, during the course of your, your life as a researcher. Do we conflate in terms of how we behave, not how we should behave, do we conflate national issues with local issues when we vote in local elections? 
Absolutely, and the parties um, and the parties encourage that because it works to their favor. So you'll find some parties talking about land when it is not a local competence. You will find parties talking about jobs, which is not necessarily a local competence. It can be when you start talking about local economic development, you can talk about incentivizing factories, you can talk about about municipalities wanting to use subsidies to attract uh, investments and they would they would only provide these subsidies if you if you created x number of jobs but look at all these things that you and I have just come up with not a single party is talking about it in that way not a single party is talking about considering thinking about issues like rent control not a single party is to but that's an issue of housing yet they don't all talk about housing but it's not in their competence to simply go out and build massive amounts of houses. But they can do things like incept policy for certain areas of cities and towns to have rent control, to, to subsidize social housing. They're not talking about those things. So they take these grand themes and bring it down to local level when, in fact, it doesn't matter. Which brings the media me to the last question, Abraham, which is exactly on that point, right? Because the reason I've opened up in the last five minutes this question of what are local elections about, how should we think about them, and how do we actually think about them, and do we conflate them with national elections, is because I want to tie a bow around the question of the DA and strategy. Given what local elections ought to be about, is there a way in which, and it's too late now because we're two, three weeks away from the election, but, you know, lessons for the future, is there a way in which an accurate understanding of what local elections should be about can help one think about political strategy in the opposition when you are approaching local elections? Because I just find it so weird to see posters of Butelezi across the country. Yeah, this is particularly acute in one of the other um, new parties. And, and here, you know, whether it's uh, traditional media or social media, you know, if you take the three big parties, uh, and I'll concede this on their part, that they aren't anchored around one individual. The ANC's campaign is not Ramaphosa. It's not synonymous with Ramaphosa, even though he looms large and because he's more popular than the ANC as a whole. Uh, the same is true for the DA. I mean, it's not it's not anchored on Stian Hazen. Uh, of course, he he looms large as a figure because his leadership uh, is being shown up in some quarters and so on. And the same is true of the EFF. People used to say the EFF is centered around Malema to a large degree. It is in national elections, but in this local election, there are different issues and different leaders who are featuring. But when you talk of the IFP and you talk about Action SA or, or Herman Mashaba, there's very little depth that goes beyond the conflation of the leader's identity and the identity of the party. And because, because the parties are not focusing on the issues, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not separating national issues from local issues. You don't have local specific campaigns. It is very easy. Even for independents who say we are hot for with what the big parties do because they're all speaking on the, on the same issues at, at a level which is abstracted from us, they fall into the same trap after they make that very criticism. So you find very little 
that is germane to a local community or to a local campaign. It's always about big issues. It's always about the national issues. It's always about what's happening inside the party. The parties behave this way. The parties behave that way. Therefore, I have to leave. But very few are campaigning on the issues which are specific to a community. Now, in some ways, it makes it hard for the media to cover that because you're never going to have that many people on the ground. Mm. Social media can help you to some degree, but, but not to a great extent. And I'm finding it, I'm finding it incredibly frustrating that ordinary citizens are falling into the trap and they are being led by their noses by political parties, uh, not only in the messaging, but also in setting the tone of what we should talk about. So South Africans have to get better of not falling into the trap of repeating the discourses set by parties and party leaders. Project your own issues. Uh, even if they are, you know, might be about jobs, might be about basic services, might be about a whole range of other things which are not in the competence of local government. No one's expecting you to be an expert on that. Raise your frustrations, you set the agenda, and let the politicians respond and tell you how they will make a national issue like housing a local one, or an education issue, which is a national competence, how they'll make it a local one. Same for health. Same for a whole range of other things. So citizens have to get better at setting the agenda and not be led by politicians. Abraham Fakir, well-known analyst, experienced in these matters and has been observing elections for a very long time. And I think that's a very important note to end on is that we shouldn't let the politicians or us in the media, for that matter, be the only ones who are setting the discussion agenda. You too should be telling us what is salient in your life. Thanks so much for coming on the platform. Thanks so much, Eusebius. And one last parting shot. Elections are not about the parties. Elections are actually about us.